1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Tyler Matheson. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with CEOs, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, recorded at CNBC's live events. Today, we talk about the state of small business in America with three high-powered guests. Maria Contreras-Sweet, former head of the Small Business Administration, Neil Bradley, Executive Vice President and Chief Policy Officer for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and Holly Wade, Director of Research and Policy Analysis at the National Federation of Independent Business. They joined me at CNBC's Small Business Playbook event on August 12, 2020. The day before we spoke, CNBC and SurveyMonkey published the results of our Small Business Confidence Survey, a quarterly kind of temperature check of small business owners across the country. Our August 2020 survey found that small business owners are slightly more optimistic than they were the last time we pulled them. That was back in May. The Optimism Index reached a score of 53, up from 49 in the previous survey. And the majority of business owners, 64% in fact, said that in current business conditions, they can remain open for the next year or more. That number? was just 32% in May. So with those numbers in mind, I asked our panelists, are they seeing the same green shoots of optimism among small business owners? Take a listen. What are you seeing from your constituents? How optimistic or challenged are they feeling? You
2: know, at the U.S. Chamber, we partner with our friends at MetLife. And since the outbreak of the pandemic began, we've been doing monthly surveys and we've seen a significant change in attitude. We know that we're going to have to get through this period, uh, but there's hope and optimism on the other side of it. Let me give you two numbers to indicate that. 30% of small business tell us they plan to increase their staff in 2021. And fully a third say they plan to make new capital investments. And even today, even in the midst of going through this, we have about 1 in 10 small businesses who have more employees today than they had back in February. Obviously, there's a lot of work to do to, protect, to, to support those small businesses that are suffering, suffering particularly those who are suffering because of, uh, of closure orders or occupancy limits. But if we can do that and support those businesses and help those that are expanding continue to expand, we can be really optimistic about the future.
1: How about revenues, Neil? Uh, how are they making up? As you described, some of those businesses have been closed others are operating at limited capacity, Uh, still others are operating in in an environment where people don't want to either get on an airplane or go into a store or mall or go and sit at a restaurant even if it's outdoors. How are they making up for the revenue loss and how does that impact their ability then to go out and either rehire workers or make capital expenditures?
2: Yeah, you're exactly right. And so what we see is, you know, different in, uh, sectors are responding differently. Some have been able to uh, adjust more quickly to more online sales, uh, to, to pick up orders. That hasn't replaced uh, the revenue from, say, in-person dining or in-person retail, for example. But it's helped them buttress that and get closer to aligning revenue with expenses. It's also important that many of these small businesses have been helped like uh, by programs like like the Paycheck Protection Program. There are some businesses, however, that we know are going to be the last to reopen. If your small business is in the events business and the whole concept is, is you're getting large groups of people together, that's really not possible in in most parts of the United States today and won't be for a while. And so as we think about our advocacy at the U.S. Chamber, we're really focused on supporting those businesses who are in the process of reopening and recovering now, but also those who are going to be the last to be able to reopen and recover
1: Maria let me turn to you and ask you what your feelings are about the PPP program that the money has been largely dispensed it is over now do we need another one or is there another better way to support small businesses that are in distress or in need
0: thank you Tyler I think that's an important question but if I may just back up a little bit just to say how proud I am of the small business community, and the small business community isn't monolithic. You know, it, it is the person working out of their kitchen, working out of their garage, working out of a on Main Street, or working at a manufacturing plant. But as you just aptly pointed out, small businesses represent two thirds of the new job growth. But we have to make sure that we're protecting it because what we've learned over the over the uh, our research is that after being shut down over thirty days. 25% of those businesses are going to have a hard time coming back online. And if they're shut down for over 90 days, then we see about 50% that are struggling. And so the statistics that you're presenting are very important, and indeed, they do need assistance. And so I say we do need to look to our federal government. It's important that we understand. Go to SBA.gov and look at all of the different uh, offerings of resources that are there. They come, as I call them, in three buckets. When is the kind of capital that you need. And not all capital is the same. Some people need debt. And so they're looking for ways to get a loan. Some people don't wanna have the burden of a loan. And so they're looking for private equity. They're looking for an investor who can give them ideas and grow with them as a partner. And some are looking for something in between mezzanine capital, hedge. And so I think it's important for small businesses to study the different types of capital that are available through SBA, through your banks, through the different outlets in in your communities. To make sure that you're taking in the right type of capital the second bucket that we talk about is technical assistance some people really want to know how to build their business plan you know in sports we always say you don't want to be where the ball has already been you want to be where the ball is coming and so in that regard i think it's really important to understand these new technologies you know to understand What is cybersecurity? What are the challenges around there? And how can we disrupt that as women, as entrepreneurs, as innovators, as risk takers? What are the things that we can do to advance the U.S. in that regard in terms of feeding the world? Where is hydroponics and aeroponics taking us? I just ran into a company that said that they've advanced the skin on an avocado so that avocados aren't so perishable. There's so many things that we could do around there. And then, of course, our health. Imagine all the telemedicine opportunities are going to uh, come online, and have already come online. People are manufacturing skin, so that we can have you know healthier bodies. You know the the bionics that are taking place. So I would just challenge all of us to think about the core skill set that we have and the transferability of those skill sets, so that we can make sure that we're going to be in an up and coming area that is going to be growing and emerging. John F. Kennedy said we don't all have equal talent, but in America we should all have an equal opportunity to pursue our talent. And so I had the great experience of seeing people as I was California secretary of transportation, as I was on the president's cabinet, as a US small business administrator, and then starting my own bank and a couple of other businesses. So I've been in government, I've been an entrepreneur, I've been in nonprofits and I can tell you that the core resiliency of our country has got to be with small businesses, Tyler. And so I was just challenged, not just the federal government, but corporations to step forward as well.
3: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarporg tools.
1: Let me go to an audience question because it touches on something. Uh, uh, Maria, that you, that you mentioned, and that is that not all businesses want debt. They don't want a loan, though that can often be a very quick bridge, and PPP has turned out to be that for many. Uh, but one of our guests asks, how are investors viewing small businesses today, especially those looking to raise capital and grow quickly to make the most of a downturn and be ready for the upturn? I'll ask you first, Maria, and then I'll turn to Neil, because you touched on this as well, the number of businesses that actually are out trying to raise capital and do uh, capital spending. Maria, you first.
0: Right. Thank you. So, yeah, PPP was, you know, was one good, um, just to fully answer your your earlier question, I think PPP was a a good attempt. Uh, Obviously, I would have appreciated that we would had just rolled it out. And then when you settle your taxes, that that that's when we'd figure out who gets a forgivable loan or, or whichever, you know, solution would ensue. But to answer your question, what's exciting right now is that corporations are saying to us that their R&D departments have become the MA departments. They see the iteration. They see the lean. They see the Six, six, six Sigma programs that small businesses are now looking at. And so they want a part of that. Just look at Tesla as, as, as an example or even SpaceX. When you talk to Elon Musk, he says, We cannot upskill our employees fast enough. So we look to the small businesses that are ahead of us and we buy those businesses or we partner with them. So I think it's a very exciting time for small businesses today in teaming and investing alongside the large businesses. And investors know that and they're taking advantage of it. This is a really good time to partner up.
1: All right, Neil, let let me let you have a whack at that. Uh, The question again was, how are investors viewing small businesses that need capital because they want to invest for the future post-pandemic?
2: Well I think they're seeing lots of opportunities um, so you know it is not uh, while there are challenges in many uh, industrial sectors for small businesses in others there's a great innovation and that innovation uh, is being amplified and presents opportunities and to Maria's point about larger businesses one of the interesting things that we've heard from from our larger members at the U.S. Chamber is that they're looking at their small business supply chain and they're really beginning to see standout stars, small businesses who've adapted to this environment and figured out how to excel at what they do or modify their operations. And those folks are prime for investment, uh, potentially even merger acquisition, as Maria said, uh, because those are the folks who Mm -hmm. are deploying the tactics, who are demonstrating the innovation, that they can survive, Tyler, I'll use your word here, the unprecedented times uh, that we're in at the moment.
1: I was gonna ask you, Holly, at the beginning to sort of tell us the numbers of what you're seeing on the ground as the mood of small business. But since we've begun our conversation, I'm gonna spin it just a little bit and I'm gonna cite the words of Bill Dunkelberg, who I know you know, and he describes the current environment economically as a disastrous economic situation. How are small businesses coping with that And do you expect to see, we've not seen it so far, a flood of bankruptcies or closures in small business in the fourth, remaining of third and fourth quarter this year?
4: Sure, so small business owners, we survey them every month to see where they are as far as business conditions. Our headline measure is the Small Business Optimism Index that we released, the July numbers this week, and they plateaued a bit from a good, healthy move up over the last couple months from the onset of the economic crisis, the health crisis, um, where levels were very depressed. Um, But there has been improved optimism. We're back now to levels that are around the historic average. However, it's not uniform across the small business sector, so there are industries that are doing a bit better than even uh, pre-health crisis levels, but there are still many small business owners, a large population, that have revenue and sales that are still well below pre-crisis levels. And But they are optimistic that in the next six months the economy will improve, Hopefully, some of these state um, reopening phases will continue uh, to open up and allow for more business activity. Um, but so it is very disconnected, a bit lumpy. We should see. Um, You know, still more of a roller coaster as we go through this health crisis for some businesses that are still negatively impacted by um, some of these business restrictions, but some businesses are doing fairly well um, and moving forward.
1: Let me let me just. We're th- going to go to a couple of quick questions here from the audience because they're there and they're coming fast and furious. I'm not sure which of our panelists might be best to take it. Maybe Maria, you. When do you think Barbara asked? When do you think the government will finalize the tax treatment of a PPP loan? Any perspective on that? Window on it, uh, Maria.
0: Uh, well, um, I had the good fortune of addressing. Um Uh, the caucus just recently, and they're all working so hard to, you know, they understand that small businesses right now are struggling. And so that's what I say. I mean, I've been suggesting to to small businesses to just hold a little bit, uh, you know, like wait till the end of the deadline on the forgiveness, because the rules are fluid, they are changing. And as we know, we're anticipating a package, you know, soon, whether it's through executive order or fiat, or through the 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 real process, the legislative process in my view. So I would say just hold on because I think it's got to come very, very soon. You know, I I have to tell you that when I came to this country at the age of five, I didn't know what to do with my life, but it was always entrepreneurs who gave my mother her first job, who gave me my first job. I couldn't speak English and so there was no way I was gonna get a government job or a corporate job, but it was a small business that let me in and let me start. And it's only in America where somebody like me could come in, and, uh, and I still remember my grandmother's words as I was leaving Guadalajara, Mexico, Tyler. And she said, you know, someday in America, you're going to be able to work in an office and be a secretary, although we've been migrant workers. And the good <laughs> Lord, look, through entrepreneurship, I was a cabinet secretary, and I did hold office. And so that's the <laughs> that's the beauty of entrepreneurship. That's what we want to replicate over and over and over again. And having been the voice for small business around the world, I can tell you that the way we can access capital is so unique to America. So I say seize the moment. Look at the positive aspects here and seek out support. Make sure that you're going to the small business development centers, that you're going to the score centers to get assistance, and that you're talking to Uh, people who can help you diversify your portfolio, such as, is there a local city contract you can get? Is there a state contract you can get? Is there a corporate contract that you can get to make more sandwiches or to do facials for some of the executives? What are the things that we can do to make sure that we're accessing markets domestically and abroad, knowing that 99% of the world's consumers are outside of the United States? Let's seize all of that. Let's continue the beauty of America and show them what we can do.
3: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Jenny!
4: And on it there will be many
2: chicken sandwiches, but there's only one crispy, So go ahead and hit the turn signal
4: if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
1: Let me turn back uh, to um, to Holly for just a minute. I- I'm not sure you, you you answered the question about the idea of large scale closures of small businesses or bankruptcies of small businesses. Uh, a lot of small businesses don't have a lot of debt. They're funding out of, uh, off of credit cards or out of family and friends, and so they might not file a Chapter 11. Are you seeing that any in your research, uh, Holly?
4: So there will be a delay in the numbers of closures for the federal data that comes out. Um, we do know just from past recessions and economic shocks that we will likely see an elevated number of business closures. However, it's very uncertain right now. We had you know, the, the PPP loan program that was a lifeline for many small business owners to keep those doors open, to continue to um, help support payroll and their employees. And mm-hmm. so while some small business owners have had to temporarily shut down, their doors or limit operations. We don't know how many right now of those will become permanent. Um, So unfortunately, we will likely see elevated levels of business closures that will turn permanent. But right now, it's very uncertain how many of those temporary closures will, in fact, be permanent.
1: Neil, let me, let me turn to you. It sort of follows on that idea with another viewer question. You describe uh, small businesses as young, scrappy, and hungry, to borrow the, the lyric from uh, the most brilliant show ever on Broadway, in my opinion, Hamilton. Uh, and and a, a questioner asks, what happens uh, if, as through M&A and more small businesses disappearing, how can small businesses that survive take advantage of gaps or the new normal that will occur Maybe it's the new abnormal that will occur after the pandemic. What are the ways creatively that and and small businesses are nothing if not flexible. They can pivot and sometimes pivot faster than big businesses. No, that's
2: exactly right. And I think that the questioner gets it by the premise of the question, right? Um, I tell policymakers uh, in Washington, D.C. all the time that if you're envisioning the economy after the pandemic is over looking exactly like it did when the pandemic began, you're getting it wrong and you're missing the opportunity for all the ingenuity that's going to happen you know, in reality, just as Holly just explained, there are some businesses that aren't going to be able to survive. There are some that aren't going to reopen, uh, but there are also going to be new businesses that take their place. And one of the things that I would encourage entrepreneurs to do is to find those gaps, to think about those gaps. Where are the new opportunities? When we're, even when we're fully reopened, I suspect there's going to be a lot more to digital commerce um, uh, than there was before the pandemic. We've been looking at the numbers on online versus brick and mortar sales. And they had been a steady trend in terms of the growth of online sales. And of course, it was a rocket ship up during the, 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 the spring, during the initial months of the pandemic. That may come back down, but it's going to come back down and operate from an elevated level. So those scrappy and hungry entrepreneurs and small businesses that we're pleased to represent at the U.S. Chamber, they're figuring out how not to just make temporary adjustments, how to make permanent changes in their operations to take advantage of that.
1: Maria, let me turn to you with another question from a viewer. It's really, the, we talked about it earlier, the kind of the existential question. A business owner from Southern California who owns a, a health club there says that they have been forced to close twice. Do you have any advice for staying alive during a forced shutdown?
0: Oh, that's a, that one is, a gym is a tough one. Uh, but what I've seen is, you know, everybody's trying to be, uh, you know, bring on their, their creative genius here. And so you just have to think about ways, uh, you know, maybe you could do online training so that people could do uh, their their physical activity in their own home and you could be training them. Are there ways in which that you can reach out to people? Can you take something outside, you know, like around our neighborhood, uh, their trainers are coming out and they're doing uh, their work out in everybody's backyard. They're meeting up in the backyard. So always think creatively about the ways in which you can continue to support your business and, and uh, just think hard about it. What, what um, you know, my, my husband's advice is always, when I have an idea, he says, sleep on it, wake up and in the morning you're freshest. And then it all comes to the fore. But I think we have to really think hard about this because we do have to have solutions. People still need to be physically capable. Uh, we still need to eat. We still need all these resources. So how can we deliver them under this new environment? But I think, a Jim, that's what I would do, is I would just say, um, you know, save, save as much cash as you can and then see what you revenue you can generate by actually altering your business model so that you can accommodate it within this environment. Maybe you can uh, you know, meet your clients at a park out in the open and do the work there. Let's think about the ways in which we can still make sure that people are getting all their physical exercises that they need. But in terms of uh, people coming online, what we're also seeing is that people who are taking early retirement, that they're also there's so many new entrepreneurs that are coming in. Some people say, you know what, I don't want that corporate job anymore. And so I wanna take my health benefits with me and I mm-hmm. wanna be uh, as you know, a re-entrepreneur, kind of come back in as an, as, a, as, a, you know, as an entrepreneur instead of working in that corporate climate. So I think we're gonna see a lot of innovation and I would encourage everybody to go to the SBIR website to see what the government is looking at and thinking about the needs that they have, and maybe you can respond to one of those uh, RFPs. Uh,
1: We're we a little short on time, so I'm going to ask in the interest of time and brevity that your answer to my final question be as short as you can make it, and I want to leave it. I'm going to start with Holly, if I might, and then, uh, and, and then go to Neil and then to Maria. Uh, it, is, it is probable, I suppose, that the government will come forward with a second tranche of some sort of aid to workers, families, and small businesses. With particular focus on small businesses, what, Holly, would you like to see in such legislation?
4: Certainly. So there is about $130 billion left in the PPP fund, allowing certain small business owners that are most negatively impacted by the health crisis at another, a second loan, um, would be hugely helpful in supporting those businesses. Businesses are leery about incurring more debt. You know, they've reined in spending. So this would go a long way in helping many small business owners navigate through the health crisis.
1: All right, Neil, you're up. What would you like to see as part of a second legislative tranche of aid for small businesses?
2: Well, I agree with Holly. A second draw PPP, and I'd add two quick things. One, that we ought to remove the barriers so the small businesses can at the same time take advantage of other things, like an expanded employee retention tax credit. And then third, there are so many small businesses that are sole proprietorships, we're going to need a program that's directly targeted to helping them survive. And so I really hope in this next bill uh,
0: that there's a focus on those sole proprietors.
1: And, Maria, the last word goes to you.
0: Uh, Tyler, I'd say ditto to what Neil and Holly just said. I couldn't uh, agree more. And I would just add that I would hope that we think about it in a way to how do we nudge the right outcomes so that if we want to have better infrastructure when we come out of this, how do we make sure that we're encouraging large, medium, and small businesses to make the investments in the communities that really need it? How do we make sure that, you know, if we're funding hospitals for testing, That we're nudging and supporting those who are giving us tests back, uh, the the, uh, outcomes of those tests in two days and not allowing two weeks. We have to make sure that we're incentivizing the outcomes that we want, nudging for the ideal outcomes that we want. And finally, I would say to everybody within the reach of my ears to say, your voice matters. And so please make sure that you're thinking about every purchase that you make as a vote. Make sure that you're buying products to support those companies that are doing right by you and that you are getting out and voting to make sure that the elected officials understand the important role small businesses play.
1: That was Maria Contreras-Sweet, the former head of the Small Business Administration, wrapping up a conversation on the state of small business in America. She joined me on August 12, 2020 at CNBC's Small Business Playbook event, along with the Chamber of Commerce's Neil Bradley and Holly Wade of the National Federation of Independent Business. Our thanks to each of them. The keynote is produced by the CNBC Events team. For more information about upcoming CNBC events and how you can join us, visit cnbcevents.com. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks for listening.